Thank God for the sermonic selection that's gone forth on today. I greet you, my brothers and sisters, in he who's called Jesus the Christ. I'm grateful today to be with you, that I might be able to lead you through this encounter, through the sermonic presentation. We start a new series on today, but if you would get your Bibles, I want you to look with me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, if you will, verse 20, chapter 24. I want to begin reading around verse number 13. Here beginneth the reading of God's word. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleophas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and all the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day. Since all of this took place, in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24, then some of our companions went to the tomb, found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them that was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, we're, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11, those with them assembled together and saying, is it true? It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We're embarking upon a new series this month called Peace of Mind. 
We're embarking upon this new series called Peace of Mind in an effort to shed some light and insight around an area that we as the body of Christ may have to confess that we've not done a great job in. Historically, mental health issues were deemed a vice of the devil and the solution was prayer and stronger faith. We've heard within the chambers of our sanctuaries insensitive and unintelligent comments like, you can be Christian or crazy, but you can't be both. And unfortunately, the remnants of this rhetoric are still echoed throughout our places of worship even on today. Hey, listen, while calling on someone to hold fast to their faith is not an issue, but when it's presented as the only answer, it silences a lot of other questions. Questions like, what do you do when prayer and faith don't seem like enough? What do you do when the olive oil cross that's smeared on your forehead brings no relief? What do you do when the Jesus pill doesn't seem to be working by itself? What do you do when you've had hands laid on you for prayer and been shoved backwards to the point you're laid out in the floor, but yet get up the same way you went down? You see, too often when someone asks these kinds of questions out loud, they are met with shame or reprimand. They're often told that they lack faith. They're told that they don't need the medication that God can heal them, which causes them to become confused that eventually will lead to persons ignoring or hiding their mental illnesses. Our houses of worship should be houses of healing, not a place of hurts. Because of our ignorance, We've not been able to distinguish the difference between mental health and mental illness. Mental health reflects our emotional, psychological, spiritual, and social well-being. Mental illness, on the other hand, refers to conditions that affect a person's thinking, feelings, mood, or even behavior. Mental illness is what people think of when they hear mental health. The term mental health implies the absence of illness or disorder. Clearly, you all, mental health conditions do not discriminate based on race, color, or gender identity. And yet we see major differences in access to and utilization of treatment resources. Approximately one in five adults in the US, which is 46.6 million, experience mental illness in any given year, regardless of their race. Fewer than half of all adults in the US with a mental health conditions receive mental health services in a given year. African-Americans, however, utilize mental health services at about one half the rate of our Caucasian brothers and sisters. And this begs the question as to why. Hey, listen, we cannot rule out the impact of historical adversity, which has led to race-based exclusion from health educational, from social and economic resources. 
Many people of color today still feel the socioeconomic impact of slavery, sharecropping, Jim Crowism, and whether we want to agree or not, our socioeconomic status is linked to our mental health. In fact, you all, in that people who are impoverished, homeless, or incarcerated are at a higher risk for poor mental illness in the African-American community. According to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, African-Americans are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health challenges than the general population. And yet people of color are less likely to initiate treatment and more likely to end treatment prematurely. People of color are much more likely to rely on their faith as a coping mechanism for dealing with depression and anxiety than we are to utilize a mental health professional. In other words, y'all people of color would rather give their support and help from the church. We'd rather get it from the church. This is not surprising to me. It's not surprising when one understands the traditional role the black church has played in the lives of people of color. There has always been a connection to faith and the emotional well-being of black people. There has always been an intersection of faith and freedom. It was our faith that sustained our African ancestors through slavery, whether it's in terms of freedom from physical bondage, spiritual bondage, or mental bondage. Faith, you all, has been viewed as the key to unlock the shackles within the African-American community. That was often the belief that no matter how great the burden, prayer was the answer and has always been the answer. The church has traditionally been the gateway into our communities. It has been our access to social services, family counseling, and a sense of belonging. The black community has historically looked to our faith leaders for the guidance and to be the spokespersons when our communities have needed a champion for the cause of our people. It is as equally important and imperative that our leaders and churches are equipped to respond appropriately to the lack of mental health resources in our communities while removing the barriers to care. The church can play a very pivotal role if we are able to move the needle on improving mental wellness. You all, we, we could move that needle on improving mental wellness in the African-American community if the church would just do right. By use of the term wellness, I'm very intentional, you all. I, I believe it's a crucial first step in changing the narrative. I believe we've got to change our language. We ought to focus on wellness rather than illness. See, illness implies that something is wrong. Wellness lends itself more easily to viewing treatment as preventative, which brings me, by the way, to our text. Bible tells us that two men who were not a part of Jesus' immediate circle of disciples, but were considered followers of Jesus, are walking 
seven miles outside of Jerusalem, headed to Emmaus. They were having a conversation about the trauma they had experienced. They were talking about the gut-wrenching, heart-wringing, hope-crushing execution of the Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, whose death in their minds signaled not just the death of a controversial leader, but also the death of a political movement that has lost its champion. You see, for them, this meant their continual state of being oppressed under the arrogant feet of the imperial Rome. Verse 13 says, and behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, which really is the equivalent of seven miles. Verse 14 through 16 says this, you all. Um, it says, and they continued, they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Now, it's important for you to note that these two disciples were not a part of the 11 disciples. These are two disciples of his in the fact that they are disciplined. They are two students of Jesus, two followers of Jesus, though they're not a part of the 11. These two disciples were traveling from Jerusalem. I need you to know that the word Emmaus means warm well. These two disciples were depressed, dismayed, and downtrodden, all because Jesus has just died on the cross, all because they have experienced trauma. As they are walking home in their depression, they were rehearsing with each other about the events that had taken place regarding Jesus. Come on, watch with me. Verse 15 tells us that while they commune together and reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Mm, God, he comes alongside like a therapist. In the midst of their depression, in the midst of their difficulty, in the midst of the fact that they were downtrodden, Jesus himself showed up. I wish y'all could see this. Jesus listens, y'all, he listens. Listen, Jesus has a history. I got to get you to see this. He has a history of showing up even when things are going bad in our lives. God knows I love this. See, no matter how, how hard it gets, regardless of how difficult it is, I, I can always depend on the Lord himself showing up. I, you know, now, now, what got me, though, it's in verse 16. Come on, watch it, you all. Verse 16. But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. I have to tell you that this really messed with me. His, his own disciples didn't know who he was. How is it that disciples of Jesus Christ, those that are disciplined, those that are his students, those that are his followers, can't recognize him when he shows up? Not only that, the text tells us they walked with him for at least seven miles talking with him the whole trip. 
but never knew who he was. These were disciples. They were followers of the Lord. You see, in my mind, in my mind, I'm trying to figure out what could have caused that to happen. In my mind, y'all, I, I was thinking that they should have been able to look at him and tell who he was. I, I mean, after all, they had been following him for at least three years. What One would think that they would have recognized him by his appearance. On one occasion, the Bible said that on the Mount of Transfiguration, that the glory of God shone upon him. Now, I'm, I'm sure that um, there was still some residue of that glory still on him, but they still didn't recognize him, even though they were looking right at him. But, but, but then I thought, well, they, they should have recognized him. They should have. They should have. I mean, I mean, y'all, they should have recognized him by what he had to say to them. They had been talking with him for seven miles. So, so one would think that after listening to him for the duration of seven miles, it would have jarred their memory and caused them to think that this guy sounds like Jesus. This must be the son of God. Y'all, you must admit that there is something unique about his speaking. I mean, y'all, when he would speak, the wind and even the waves would obey him. When he would speak, deaf people would now begin to hear. When he would speak, people that couldn't talk would talk. When he spoke, the lame would get up and walk. Yes, there should have been something unique about his speaking. That even they should have recognized him because of the way he was talking. Even his enemies said, y'all, never a man spake like this man. And yet, here are his disciples walking right next to him. And they don't recognize his presence even while they are listening to what he has to say. In this text, in this text, in this text, there are several things I see that can help us in our attempt to address mental health appropriately. Several things I see I want to share with you all. The first that I see is that we ought to identify the trauma. Yeah, we ought to identify the trauma. You know, let's call the trauma what it is. They called it crucifixion. He was crucified. Um, uh, I think you ought to give unto your trauma a name from your trauma. We have to lay the axe to the root. If we only want to work on what's bothering us about our trauma, instead of processing the trauma, we're going to keep producing new batches of fruit from our trauma. And that's why we have to identify the trauma and be willing to cut it at the root. Secondly, in order to address mental health appropriately, we need to activate our faith. Yeah, activate our faith. Watch verse 25, if you don't mind. Verse 25, it says, and he, meaning Jesus, said to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You know, we ought to have a faith-led response to our trauma and our faith needs to be strong. I got to tell you that again. Y'all, your faith needs to be strong. So Jesus talks to them about their faith. 
We ought to be able to use our faith to recover from something that has devastated us. Let me ask you, what is it that we believe about what we cannot see? Traditionally, our faith has always given us information and inspiration. People who are dealing with uncertainty are trying to believe, but you don't know what to believe because of your uncertainty. You don't know whether to use your faith to accept your fate or let your fear defeat your faith. You're not sure if this is how your story ends or if God's going to do something else. Uncertainty brings about anxiety. I want you to get this, please. Uncertainty brings about anxiety because you just don't know. Will I survive this? I don't know. Will a way be made? I don't know. Will what I lost be restored? I don't know. Will I always be alone? I don't know. Uncertainty brings about anxiety. I wish I had some help here. Uncertainty brings about anxiety. And these disciples didn't know what their future held. So Jesus helped to activate their faith. The third thing I believe is needed to appropriately respond to mental health is community. That's my last one for you all, community. Notice, it was Jesus and the two disciples. But then drop down to verse 33. It says, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11, those who were with them gathered together. Look at verse 35. Then they told what had happened. May I suggest to you today, and I'm finished, y'all, here it is, community is essential. It's essential. It's essential where you can talk about your trauma, a place where you can be supported, a place that will not give you um, messages that work against your recovery. Yeah, we need support groups, and you know there are support groups for everything, a support group, a community will change your life. It'll help you help you thrive because you are connected to people who have been through the same thing as you. And then you hear their story and hear their feelings and it becomes affirming for you. The community, the support group can help you to adjust and grow. I want to suggest to you on today that, listen, if we're going to begin to respond appropriately to those who are in our community, in our families and in our churches who are suffering and dealing with mental health challenges, we're going to have to begin to respond in such a way that it gives God glory. I, I'm sorry, you all. The, the, the truth of the matter is, we can no longer do business as we have been doing it. We have got to begin to call it what it is. We've got to begin to activate our faith and then lean on each other in community in order to bring the healing that's so desperately needed by our brothers and sisters. Hey, 
I want to thank you. But don't, 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 don't rush away because stay tuned to next week. Got some more for you. Because we need to get a grasp on how we're responding as the kingdom of God to persons with mental challenges, even during Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, I want to pause for a moment. And I want to ask you to help me pray for persons who are yet wrestling with mental health challenges, persons who are wrestling with the stigma that's being attached to them because of the things that's going on in their head. I want you to help me today to tap into persons who feel that they in fact are somehow different than everybody else. I want to pray for them today. I want to pray for persons who are refusing to utilize the medication because they are afraid of what we might say about them. I want to pray for those persons who need to seek professional help, but because of the stigma, refuse to go. I want to pray for those who are walking around in fear because you're afraid to tell somebody. Come on, pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, God, the one thing I know is that you are a heart fixer and you are a mind regulator. I know, God, you save. From the uttermost, God, you save. I know you can heal. I also know, God, you've given unto us doctors and medication to come alongside us, to aid us in our healing. Now, Lord, I ask that you would put your hand on every person under the sound of my voice who need you to move in their lives even with them or their family, need you to move in their lives to change the circumstances. God, help us to be a community that supports one another, regardless to what our conditions might be. For this is our prayer. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.